Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. Fantasy Football League. 
And so my two sisters and I and my parents, and we each got to invite someone, uh, we started a fantasy football league. And then I did another league. So I actually started with three leagues in one year. And then from there on, three was the minimum I've played in up to, I don't even know how many leagues. And uh, yeah, and I became obsessed. And one of the things that I noticed is that there weren't women analyzing fantasy football. And I thought that was really weird because fantasy football is not real football. And it's about math and reading, which women can do. Shocker, I know. But uh, so I thought, why? Why is this? So my sisters and I, who were part of the original fantasy football year, years and years ago, decided we would start a podcast. And we ended up being the first all-female fantasy football podcast ever. And we kind of got recognized that way. I met Jeff Radcliffe and Mike Clay, who formerly of Pro Football Focus at the Fantasy Sports Trade Association. Uh, we just got along right away. And after a couple of years, uh, Jeff, you know, asked me to work with the Pro Football Focus crew. So now I'm writing for them and it's great. And I'm continuing the Her Fantasy Football podcast. Uh, and we also have a radio show on Sirius XM uh, during football season. And then I also have the Bleacher Report uh, fantasy show on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio as well every Saturday morning with Adam Ronis of Scout.com uh, every uh, Saturday from 8 to 10 a.m. Well, I mean, that is, first of all, it's an outstanding story. Second of all, <laughs> you know, whether, whether most guys want to admit it or not, we all had mothers. And I was lucky enough, and this is, you know, late 60s when I was first starting, you know, I was seven. Um, my mom was a big football fan. In fact, she still is today. So I've always kind of loved having women in my fantasy football leagues all the way back to when I used to be big on ant sports. So it's really good to hear your story. And it's all, I almost didn't want to bring it up because on one hand, it, it's a really unique story, and I'm sure people want to hear it. On the other hand, I think you should be treated just like any other analyst because you're just as good as any other analyst. So it's kind of torn. But the last thing I want to say on that is, it, you know, with fantasy football, you finally found something that was more addictive than John Elway. I know. Finally, finally. I think my favorite part about my story is that it actually sounds exactly like every other man's story. A friend asked you to play in a league. You realized it was awesome, and you became obsessed. And I, yep. think, that, you know, I think that's pretty normal, actually. Uh, it's just, it's, and and um, why shouldn't it be, right? Right. I mean, I think that the big difference is that there is a culture um, – within young men that ask their friends to play fantasy football and um, women, young women don't have that same kind of like standard social standard or what have you. But um, the women that love sports, like love sports, just like the men who love sports, right? That's kind of a thing. Uh, but it was the same way for me. My mother has always loved football. We were a family that we would watch um, like old school musicals on Saturday and then Sunday spend the whole day watching football. Like to me, it wasn't about gender. And my mom knew just as much about football, even though my dad played football in college at the university of Colorado and had an orange gold ring. Um, my mom still knew just as much what was going on. I could call plays just like my dad. So I didn't know that other, um, that that was maybe unusual until I left for college actually, because in Denver, Broncos fans are male and female. Everyone knows what's going on with the Broncos. Everyone has John Elway's signature on the back of his 
of their car because he owns all the car dealerships there. He recently sold them, but they, they kept his signature. I mean, people are obsessed with the Broncos. It knows no gender. And actually, baseball is kind of like that here in New York. Like, there are just as many female Yankees and Mets fans as there are male fans, fans. So, I don't know. I think it's also regional. But, you know, if you walked into a bar in Denver and acted like a woman didn't know what she was talking about when she talked about football, you would leave with no friends. That just isn't acceptable. And, and, and no one wants to leave with no, a bar with no friends and no women. So, that's probably not a good strategy. I do think, you know, the fact that a lot of the experts in the in, in, in this industry are younger. You know, I'm 54. I definitely feel like the old guy whenever we're talking with people. Uh, but I, I do think that younger people don't have a lot of the, you know, like I was fairly enlightened when it came to women in my age group. But it's, it really seems like a lot of the old boundaries and a lot of the old ways that people think are starting to break down. And, and I agree with you 100%. Um, there's no reason a woman can't be as good at fantasy football as a guy. Speaking of what you've kind of morphed into, how was your first year at Pro Football Focus? I mean, that's a, a huge get, a huge gig. And what are you focusing on this offseason that you're going to be looking to write about? Oh yeah, it was it was so crazy. <laughs> it I loved it. It was a wonderful experience. Um, I'm so glad. I also got to go out to Cincinnati to the headquarters, and I got to meet Chris Collinsworth, who's a really nice guy. And I got to talk about what next season's going to look like, kind of what our goals are, what kind of the image of what we want to do. So um, so hopefully, you know, I continue there. Um, but it was great because it's such a analytics-heavy site. And even though I personally use obviously all the same analytics as everyone else, we all have computers, uh, it was great to incorporate that into my writing. You know, I'm a, also a creative writer, which um, you know, we'll talk about, I'm sure, later. But uh, so I, I come from, <laughs> like, playwriting and dialogue and, you know, I got poetry. that sense. I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt. <laughs> I remember I told you it's hard to interrupt on blog talk, but, um, you know, I got that sense. You talked about theater and just in reading your writing, it, it does seem like that is a, uh, a, you know, part of your background. So that I, I find that interesting, but I'm sorry I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, not at all. That's great. So, yeah, I mean, for me, it was a big shift for me to uh, concentrate on the analytics portion and the statistics that were most important. Also, just because a statistic exists doesn't mean that, you know, um, correlation equals causation, which I think is something we always have to remember. Um, you know, I kind of got hammered because I wrote this I'd article about how... I'd have to spell it first. Sorry, yeah, I yeah. I'd, I'd yeah, have to learn no, how to spell it first. Tough. Spell check has saved my life. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I talked about how Mike Evans has the 121st ranked yards after the catch average. Okay. one uh, 2.0, I believe he got up to, but he was in the 1.8 to 1.9 range the majority of the season. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to draft Mike Evans or that I'm, you know, saying that he's a bad player or what have you. But it is an interesting statistic because if he just even went up two yards, right? Imagine with his volume, if he could add two yards to that average next season. If the coaching staff recognizes this and decides that there's a way that they can throw him into 
position where he can gain some yardage after the catch. That's an amazing thing to think about. And also, what is that going to do to Jameis Winston's numbers? What's that going to do to how many times they're going to get into the red zone? So just because something isn't a direct causation doesn't mean that there's not something to dig a little bit deeper on. And it's okay, you know, to interpret the numbers in the way that you see them and how you think that can shake out in the future. And, uh, you know, people are like, oh, but he's so great. Like, what's wrong with you? But I didn't say he wasn't great. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I'm saying he is great. And can you imagine if he was two yards greater per catch? That's crazy. I think about the first thing that came to my mind when you were talking about that is, uh, you know, I, I know Matt Harmon does a lot with reception perception as to what kind of patterns is he running. Typically, a big guy like Evans gets a lot of uh, slants because he can shield with his body, and it's much easier to get yards after catch on a slant than it is when they throw it up on the sideline and he uses his size to, to grab the ball. So it also says to me that that's something that maybe Tampa should be looking at, not you know because fantasy football and real football, while not exactly correlated all the time, it, it you can learn a little bit about one from the other. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, is that no one else is even close though. I mean, it is regardless of his usage, other wide receivers are used in the same way on the slant patterns, and they're still averaging more than two yards. And that's the average, right? Yeah, it, that means it's, he's getting it's less a, than that quite a bit. And he's almost it, it's and, an amazing stat. It's an yeah, amazing stat. I mean, think stat. about it. That's him not even falling forward. He's tall <laughs> that. No, literally. Yeah. Like, I mean, when you start thinking about it, you're like, that doesn't even statistically make sense. So to me, I think that there's something there that if they look at it, I think this is maybe an opportunity, and I'm kind of excited. Yeah, I I have no problem drafting him right now at his ADP of one seven or one eight, um, I, and I think you know getting Deshaun Jackson there is a big help. Um, but you know you did mention a lot about Colorado and John Elway and cars and, but right now you know as I mentioned you live in New York. I'm just curious how you made the trip from Colorado to New York City, and how do you like well, living there? Oh, well, I love it. I love it. We've been here now seven years, and uh, I went to the University of Minnesota. So I actually left Colorado when I was 17. Uh, I'm a summer birthday, so there's a little transition there between 17 and 18, and I was gone. I never came back. Um, and I met my husband in Minnesota as well. He's from South Dakota originally. And I actually spent uh, nine years and kind of bookended in my childhood in Nebraska. So I'm kind of this Midwest meanderer. Uh, but my husband yeah. and I were both in the arts. And so that brought us to New York. Um, when I came here, I was working as a professional actress for a long time, and I was doing, um, you know, theater and, you know, just at that point, like extra work in television shows and things like that. And I still sometimes do that. I was actually just on Madam Secretary. I'll be on one of the new episodes coming out, and I do some voiceover work and things like that. Um, but uh, now I'm a playwright. So at this time of year, I usually um, write one play. Um, during the, what I call playwriting season. And uh, and then I get that all gussied up and I try to send that out. And uh, yeah, you know, and also I'm, I'm trying to do fancy baseball and basketball, if you can believe that. Uh, so I'm actually in the playoffs for the SiriusXM NBA radio, or the NBA station on SiriusXM. They did a, a league and I got invited to it, which is really nice. And I'm in the playoffs, so wish me luck. And that's, then, uh, uh, that's awesome, man. And the whole playwright thing, I mean, you know, 
uh, I guess Brandon is like an onion, you know, there's layers. <laughs> I guess so, or I'm just oversubscribed, but thank you. <laughs> no, I think that's cool. Why don't you just tell us uh, quickly um, what, what you, you said you were, uh, you know, you, you what did you playwright? I, I, I don't know the right word. I apologize. But, <laughs> but what do you got going on there? Yeah, yeah. So there's a, um, I'm going to write a play called Margie the Dog which I uh, initially wrote, um, but I'm changing it a little bit. It's about a couple that talks through their dog, like through baby talk. They just have a difficult time communicating. Uh, and so uh, as the play though unfolds, you find out that they've gone through um, kind of hell and back in terms of fertility issues. And um, the, by the, when they did finally have a child, that child was hit by a car by an elderly driver. And then they tried to adopt, and then the mother took the child back, was in the window, and they're just broken. And then at the end, uh, Margie the dog dies, and they have to have a real conversation. So it's, well, a, it's a picker that's upper. sad. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very sad. I'm going to bring a couple tissues when, the, when you invite me to come see the play, because I'm only about an hour and 20 out. Um, yeah. And, you know, if I, if I come to see the play, I will bring my tissues. But that also reminds me of one of my favorite books of all time, which the dog was the lead character. It was a book called The Art of Racing in the Rain. And uh, I cried like a baby at the end of that. I think you would love that book. Um, One of the downsides, though, of living in New York is that New York right now is not allowing MFL 10s. Can you enlighten us a little bit on that situation? I know New Yorkers are not allowed, but not sure why. Yeah. So New York did pass the legislation. Uh, Governor Cuomo signed it pretty much immediately. But it is not necessarily friendly, especially to the smaller entities. Um, For instance, I'm just going to read the language because I'm not a lawyer and I don't want to speak out of turn here. But registered operators must pay a tax equivalent to 15% of their interactive fantasy sports gross revenue generated within the state. The addition, in addition, registered operators shall pay a tax equal to one half of 1%, but not exceed $50,000 annually. All taxes collected from operators, as well as interest and penalties as applicable, imposed by the commission will be deposited on a monthly basis directly into the New York Lottery Fund for the sole purpose of providing aid and education to New York public schools. Um, the problem is, is that this will regulate all paid entry fantasy sports in the state. Now, when they said that, I think they only thought that was DFS, but of course, MFL 10, you pay in $10. Now, what's absurd about that is that you have, they have to pay one half of 1% on a monthly basis of just their New York residents. I think they just don't have the manpower, it sounds like, to really get this done and to do all the regulatory things that they need to do. So, I mean, I, I feel for them. I would love to play. I'm sad about it. Sounds like it's just, you know, one of those bills that just isn't small business friendly. Well, I I read today because I played in the FFPC last year, which is kind of a large money league, and they got approved for New York today. So I do have good news for you. You can play in some best ball leagues. Um, I know that the FFPC has some $35 ones and – I like them. They're 28 rounds, which adds layers of strategy. And for geeks like you and me who know every player on every team, I do think it uh, offers a little bit of an advantage. So um, you're good to go on that at least. Um, 
you know, we, you you because you couldn't do a, a, an official MFL 10, you wanted to do an article on kind of ADP and what's going on. Tell us some of your key takeaways from the PFF mock industry draft that you, we just finished. Yeah, and thank you so much for taking part in that. It was really fun, and I personally learned a lot. Um, I like these early drafts when they're low pressure because you get used to things, just even like the software. So, for instance, my fantasy league updated all their software, and I messed up at the end. And um, I thought that I had set up my pre-draft to be a defense and then a tight end at the very end, and instead it was two tight ends. I don't even know how that happened. Uh, so now I'm playing with just one defense in an MFL 10, which you would never want to do. Um, so it, it, you have to get the kinks out, so that's good. And with MFL 10s, too, even if you are paying it, it's only $10, so you're going to be fine. But log in, start mocking, see what everyone does. We mocked at the weirdest time ever because it was right after the combine and then right before slash as the free agency started – so it was very weird because the construction of every team was changing and it was a little bit nuts. Um, but yeah, you know, it was really fun. I love seeing what everyone's strategy was. So like for instance, John Cemento, um, you can follow him at Rumford Johnny on Twitter. He's a fantastic follow. He's a big risk taker. You could tell, I mean, he took Joe Mixon um, and it was crazy towards the beginning of the draft. And this was on Monday afternoon at 3 p.m. 15 p.m. And Mixon ran the 40 in 4.43 seconds on Wednesday during his pro day. So this was before that. So it's very interesting to me that he took him so early. Um, you know, things change as well. Kenneth Dixon is not going to go at the top of the fifth round like he did in our draft, Tagliere. And it's just not going to happen because he's not only suspended for the first four games, but now they brought in Danny Woodhead. And if Terrence West has four games, it's not like Kenneth Dixon blew him that much out of the water. If he's a troublemaker kind of type, which may, may or may not be true, listen, one suspension doesn't mean that it's, you know, a bad apple, but I think it's something to watch now, and I don't think I would go that early on a back that I'm not quite sure is going to be the starter, and if he is, how much he's going to share with Danny Woodhead, who is one of the best pass-catching running backs out there. Pat Foreman yeah. was, like, super old school. I don't know if you – do you have the NFL 10 pulled up or – is it just I, 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 I don't. <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> I should have. I didn't. I got your article up, or I did. I, I've got your article up. Um, oh, well, that's nice. Thank you. Yeah, we took well, Brandon Marshall, Larry Fitzgerald, and Adrian Peterson, like, in a row. Which, yeah. they're all older. Oh, and then Delaney Walker. So, you know, it's, <laughs> it's very interesting because you, you know, you go, oh, wow, and that was from round five through um, eight. So that's, you know, a lot of picks. I got Danny Woodhead in the 12th round. You probably, whoever's listening, will not be able to do that anymore, I'm assuming. I just think that that's absurd. And then I'm going to talk about him later, but Jalen Richard in the 17th, I don't understand. I don't, I don't know why no one's taking this guy. It just blows my mind. Um, and then, of course, you know, I, you know, we talked about your taking Cam Newton in the top of the sixth when the only other quarterback off the board was Aaron Rodgers, um, which, who, by the way, that was Jen Ryan. It was a great pick in the middle of the fifth round. Again, 
Aaron Rodgers is not going to fall to you unless you're doing an industry draft where everyone's late round quarterback. So just no one's picking anyone. Um, I think that the only thing that I, I also mentioned in my article is just that Cam Newton, you don't have to take him that early. Um, but I do think it's interesting your, your concept that, or your um, belief that he's going to bounce back this year. Um, I don't, I don't know if I'm 100% committed to that, but I think that that's worthy of conversation. And I think that if you have guys like that, go for it. Get your guy. That's what this is about. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. You know, you covered a lot of ground, and I want to hit on a couple of the key points that you discussed. One, I've been in drafts with Rummy before, and he is very aggressive. He doesn't care what you think. He doesn't care what ADP thinks. You know, he's going to get his guys. That's his style. Um, I, yeah, well, again, look, it's your $10 at the end of the day, it's your Mm -hmm. $10 to invest as you see fit. I tend to use ADP, you know, again, every draft is different. You know, I think what happens when there's a lot of experts in one draft, people start saying, well, I really want this guy. And even though he's a seventh or eighth round guy, you know, based on what I'm seeing that's available, I'm going to take that, and that's what happened with Cam Newton. I mean, I know I've been getting him in the eighth round a lot. And in the eighth round, I think a lot of what you talked about is baked in. In other words, I don't expect him to go back to 440 points and being the number one quarterback in in football. Mm -hmm. But I think that he kind of went the other way last year where everything went right one year, everything went wrong the next. I'm planning on something in the middle. I think he's a top three to four quarterback. And in the eighth round, I'm very interested in him. I, I, there just wasn't someone I really liked in the sixth round. So I think a, com- a combination of drafting late, which I hate because the, there's no value at the end of the first round, and being with a bunch of experts and not having anyone that jumped out at me. I mean, Rumford Johnny took uh, Martavis Bryant, um, after me, I, the next five guys were Isaiah Kroll, Tyler Eifert, Larry Fitzgerald, Christian McCaffrey, Thomas Rawls, and Martavis Bryant. So, you know, I, again, there's value and there's ADP, and I normally would, t- would stick to that. But in an expert draft, when I didn't love anyone, I reached, and it happens. But, um, you know, I I think you covered a lot of the really good trends and points that came up as well as a lot of the other things. The one one thing I did want to ask you about the draft is the 10 spot. You seem to have no fear of the 10 spot where whenever I don't get one of the top eight picks, I kind of get hives. Now, you did get Dez, who I would have taken had you not, uh, but, but kind of just take us through a little bit of your thoughts on that pick and your strategy and how it played out. Yeah, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I think Scott Barrett won the draft in the fourth pick. I think that's where I want to be because he got Antonio Brown and you're going to get, because everyone's going to take Bell Johnson or Elliot. So you're going to be able to get a Brown Beckham or Julio for sure in the fourth pick, if not one of those three running backs, depending on who you're drafting with. And then he got um, Jordan Howard, and then he got Jay Ajayi, and then he got Emmanuel Sanders, and then he got Greg Olson. I was like, what is going on with this fourth spot? So, yeah, I agree with you. I think that being towards the front feels great. To me, in the 10 spot, I thought it was just like value, value, value. So, yeah, I went Des Bryant, and then I went Melvin Gordon, who I just think is a baller. And then I went Spencer Ware, 
who, I mean, they let Jamal Charles walk. I'm assuming they're going to use him more. I'm a little nervous, but I still think that he has a definitive role in a team that needs to run. Julian Edelman in a PPR league makes sense to me. Sterling Shepard, I would have changed that now that we know that Brandon Marshall is there. Um, not that I have a problem with Sterling Shepard. They usually do three wide. I just don't think I'd take him that high. And I love Isaiah Crowell. The Browns want to use him. And they upgraded the offensive line, and he was the only solid starter running back left on the board. So that's why I took him. So I just felt like it was more of like a value play. But then I just, towards the end, I don't know, where, wherever you are, just find value. I got Jimmy Graham in the eighth round when Travis Kelsey went in the fifth, right? And then Rob Gronkowski went in the second. Jimmy Graham has the same potential as them. Jamal Charles, maybe. Mike Evans, or Mike Williams, who I don't know why his draft stock is dropped so low I mean that okay he had a mediocre combine but like life happens so I don't know I I think yeah I I just kind of decided this was my get value draft but you're right I mean I'm not going to lie to you I'd rather be towards the front exactly (laughs) you're right it's 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 true and but you know the reason I asked is because I was I I feel like when I don't get one of those top six seven picks I'm at a serious disadvantage. Normally you like you think you can make that up because you pick earlier in the second, but there's hardly anyone in the beginning of the second that I wouldn't mind taking at the end of round two. So I really don't feel like you're making up the value like you would hope. So I I went more aggressive and it, 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 again it, it typically if I was in a draft where I had one of those top picks, I probably would have done similar to what those people did and stick to ADP and keep taking value. Mm -hmm. And, you know, look, the one thing about an MFL 10 is there's really only one winner. $100 goes to the first place. $10 goes to the second place. And there's no point in sticking to ADP if you feel like you need – some something magical to happen to win. And that's kind of how I approach this one. Yeah. I think the only bright spot is that when you're on the turn, regardless, you do get to kind of set the pace for balance. Absolutely. You know? And so Absolutely. I do hold on to that. Yeah. I love, I mean, that's one of the reasons I like one to four also, or one to five, but especially mm-hmm. one to four, because I love to kind of look at, all right, I got, I'm picking it, let's say, you know, two ten, and and you can see the next two guys who are going to pick at eleven and twelve, and then come back the other way. It really gives you an advantage. I feel that you're able to take the guy that at the position you don't think they'll take. Oh, and I did want to say one more thing about this. I, in early drafts, do not pick a rookie before the sixth round as a rule. I won't do it. Um, I got Mike Williams as the only rookie in the tenth, which was a steal because his tape is delicious, but he had an underwhelming combine. So as long as he's in double-digit rounds, I'm going to pick him up, no problem. And my biggest thing is defined roles. So I picked people, all people, that I thought had defined roles on their team. Um, because even Jamal Charles, who doesn't have a team yet, anyone who signs him is going to give him a definitive role. And I got him in the ninth. And for a guy that's always averaged over five yards per carry, if he gets a role on a team, like that's worth that kind of lottery ticket that you're talking about. And the ninth round to me is where I take him. I, I love it. I think that that's absolutely the right strategy. 
Um, you know, to me, it's all about value. I don't mind taking risk on an injured guy or a guy who's not on the team. If I think a guy is a seventh-round pick with a role and he's in the ninth round, I'm going to take him because it's baked mm-hmm. in, right? Where I don't want to do it is I don't want to take the guy in the seventh round because it could go the other way. Um, it was a fun draft. Again, I, I do very much appreciate you uh, inviting me. And, you know, you mentioned that free agency kind of came in. And speaking of free agency, but many questions have been answered, especially at wide receiver and tight end. But the thing that really jumps out to me about this last week wasn't any signing, but the big trade between the Patriots and the Saints. From a fantasy perspective, how do you think that trade is going to affect the players on both the Patriots and the Saints fantasy perspective for this year yeah well I think that the Saints kind of won this trade because they didn't really need Cook Michael Thomas and Willie Sneed can hold down the fort it's going to be fine um, also when it comes to Drew Brees average depth per target it is so much smaller than almost everyone else in the league and that's by design he's older he makes just short accurate passes and a lot of them and that's how they play and that's how they'll always play and I'm fine with that. So um, good for them. They need to rebuild. The Patriots obviously don't need to rebuild, but they benefit as well because they get Brandon Cook. So that's awesome. Uh, it's going to move It's going to move the needle, but it's not a game changer for the Patriots because they're already so good, in my opinion. Um, I think this is a tough sell for me. Um, everyone keeps saying that Brandon Cook is the next Randy Moss, but they have a lot of differences. And I think that we can start with the height, right? Brandon Cook is 5'10", Randy Moss is 6'4". Cooks ran a 4'3", which is great. Moss ran a 4'2", um, You know, so they're both speedy guys, obviously, but, I, you know, it's a little different. Also, it was 10 years ago, that 2007 magical season, where Randy Moss caught the insane 23 touchdowns. I do not think Cook is going to catch 23 touchdowns. That's absurd. But I think the problem is the waters are murky here. First of all, from 2007 to 2009, they didn't have a Rob Gronkowski, okay? They had Ben Watson, and he put up between 209 and 389 yards per season over that time frame and never scored over six touchdowns. So that's a completely different game plan when you have a tight end like that versus Rob Gronkowski. Um, I think Julian Edelman truthers might be upset because Wes Welker always was a big PPR guy and got over a thousand receiving yards, but he never went over eight touchdowns with Randy Moss on the field. Um, and then listen, Father Times met Tom Brady, but you know, it's hard for me to believe that, you know, his ADOT's gone down by a yard, which isn't terrible, but I, I just think that it's weird to believe that he's not going to use Rob Gronkowski a ton. And that means that Cooks and Edelman are going to split. So I don't know. I think it's weird because I like the fantasy football calculator. And Brandon Cooks' ADP is going up. He went from the fourth round to the third round, which surprised me. And then Edelman staying steady in the fifth. Uh, he's in the third in PPR league. <laughs> I, I, is that, am I crazy? You're, no, you're not crazy. I, 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 had a, I jumped into a Twitter argument today. And I was, you know, someone was saying that Cooks is going to be the next great slot guy on, on uh, the Patriots in that role. He's going to be great. And I'm like, did did Edelman die or something? And you know, the Moss, the Moss thing is laughable, and you've covered it excellently, so I won't add to it. 
But Brandon Cooks is, I think it's great from the Patriots from a football standpoint. I think Cooks opening up the field, he's going to get his share, and it's going to open up the offense for everyone else, and that's why they made the trade. But from a fantasy perspective, I noticed the same thing you did, that he's going in the, in the middle second round still. I'm not interested maybe until the end of the third or even the fourth because I, I don't know that he's going to catch more than 60 or 65 passes now. It's really difficult to know what to do with them right now. I'm, I'm going to try to watch what happens, uh, but I'm concerned. You mentioned Tom Brady's A-dot, and that's the other kind of pet peeve that I have. I'm a Jimmy Garoppolo truther. I drafted him in Mike Taglieri's uh, dynasty league that we're both in. and I mean, I don't get that all the talk about trading him. I mean, Tom Brady's 40 years old. I know he's Tom Brady, and he's amazing, but Garoppolo has shown that he has the ability to run that offense, and to, he has a quick release, and, and he's just a good guy football player it looks like and we all know how hard it is to find a quarterback if you don't have one um so that a dot you know it's not you're right it's not a big deal in and of itself but father time is the undefeated champion and uh i i I, what do you think about trading garoppolo well um i think that every time the Patriots quarterback leaves, I think they're a Trojan horse. So I may not be the right person to ask about this. <laughs> well, you, you know, you can, you have an opinion. That's okay. I, my, I'm a big boy. You can disagree with me. I, 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 I no, think, I just I think feel Garoppolo's like they go different. places and steal people's money. I, I think Garoppolo's different. I'm, I'm on the clock on that one, and I, I understand if you uh, you disagree. Um, another headline. Maybe. Move. Oh, I do want to. I want to. I want to make sure you go ahead. Her. Go ahead. He may sure. be. He may be. Um, it just seems like what they do is they ask for way too much for someone that has done well in a system that's great. So, you know, asking for two first round picks is so absurd. It's it's just it's feeling, and I don't care how good he is. I you know, do you really think that he's the next Joe Montana? No, I think he can be good. I don't. Maybe he could be like a Matthew Stafford type, even though they have a completely different game. But I mean, I'm just saying that like like caliber of like you know bottom of the top ten to fifteen kind of talent. Sure, but I mean, to, to two first round picks is so absurd that that's just feeling. And so it's not even about his talent to me. It's just that it makes no sense for any team to do that. Well, and and believe me, I don't disagree with that from a sanity perspective but the market (laughs) is the market right in other words if you look at like if if i had to say to you today if you look at the package that they other those teams gave up for carson wentz and jared goff guys who had never played a down and you look at jimmy garoppolo's you know his pedigree and what he's been able to do and that he's been able to learn under brady and if you if you include all those thought processes into it, it becomes less insane because of the the market for quarterbacks is is insane, right? It's you know even in fantasy, like I, you know, the, there's certain guys that you would never trade X for, 
But if you had a chance to get, uh, you know, because running backs are kind of the quarterback of fantasy, you know, if you had a chance to get uh, Zeke Elliott or David Johnson, you wouldn't be as concerned about winning a trade. So, you know, it's just about getting that asset. So you understand what I'm saying? It's the market is just overpriced for quarterbacks. I would, unless I want to actually win a championship. I mean, I think this is about what your goals are. Because this isn't just about this. Do you play Settlers of Catan? What's that? Is this, do you play Settlers of Catan? It's like a nerdy game. No, I'm a no, nerdy I, game I, 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 It might be the one nerdy game I missed. <laughs> well, welcome. I'll, I'll just send you a link to it. But um, it's also about who you're helping. And I'm not going to give two first-round picks to Bill Belichick if I'm in a colleague in the National Football League. I'm just not going to okay. do it. I, I, you know, I think we both have mentioned two really smart points and we'll leave it there and we'll move on to, because it's one of those things that only time will tell because we don't know what Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be. And if he turns out to be a top 10 quarterback, he's worth two first round picks. If he turns out to be a middle of the road guy, a Matt Castle or below, then he's not even worth one. So uh, time is going to tell on that. I've been of the opinion they're not going to trade him. I, I just think that Bill Belichick is smart enough to realize that if he's got a guy to replace Tom Brady, those guys don't grow on trees. But another headline move was Brandon Marshall staying in New York but changing colors from green to blue. What are your thoughts from a fantasy perspective on the move as it relates not only to his numbers but o- Odell Beckham's and Shepard's as well? I think Eli Manning is a fantasy football liability. And I think that until uh, he changes, I'm not quite sure how excited I can be about any of these wide receivers. Um, save, of course, you know, Odo Buckham Jr. because he's a freak. Um, but Manning finished outside of the top 20 in fantasy scoring and standard scoring leagues last season. He tied with Blake Bortles and Brock Osweiler with 16 interceptions on the season, the fourth most in the league. Do you want to be on a quarterback list with those two? Uh, no, actually. Uh-uh, no. It gets worse. <laughs> it wasn't because he was forcing it down the field, because he was tied with Brian Hoyer and Colin Kaepernick with the 24th lowest A dot in the league at 8.3 yards per target. He can't move. He finished the season with negative nine rushing yards, which is the least in the league. Only Hoyer had negative two. Everyone else is at least in positive numbers. And, yes, they do need to improve their offensive line but he was only sacked 21 times, which was the absolute fewest of any quarterback who played in all 16 games. So I guess my problem is, yeah, I think he's going to throw the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. because he should. Then it's going to be Shepard and Marshall splitting the rest of the targets, which they always do a three wide receiver set, but he never gets the completion rate that we need for that to be productive. So I just think they need to start running the ball and having a killer defense. That's how they're going to win games. I'm worried from a fantasy perspective what the other two can do at this point. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, Odell Beckham is just one of those freaks in nature that, you know, right. he's going to get his. But I do think it affects him a little bit because Brandon Marshall, they force the ball into Odell in the red zone a lot for a guy that's not a big guy. And, you know, last year it was a little less because Shepard has that great body control and he's a good um, end zone target. But now you bring in Brandon Marshall, who's 
you know, one of the best red zone touchdown guys in the last 10 years. And I think it's got to hurt both Shepard and Beckham. I think Beckham just a little bit, but I think it hurts Shepard a lot because a lot of his game is getting those red zone touchdowns. And now there's just one more mouth to feed there. Your point, you know, I'm a longtime Giant fan. Um, speaking of, uh, you know, well, I won't go back to 87. You were probably not even around then. Um, 86. I, mean. I was. I was alive. I was alive. No, you were alive, but yeah, you, I don't know that you were uh, watching that Super Bowl. But, um, you know, I, I, I mean, Eli, the offensive line is a problem. Jerry Reese doesn't seem to spend on it. Um, you know, adding DJ Fluker, I like that move. Uh, but, you know, in general, adding your one big offseason pickup is a wide receiver, not offensive line, when you need to get the running game going. And there were some good offensive linemen out there. So I wasn't super happy, but that's that's life. But speaking of Giants and uh, coaches who've won Super Bowls for the Giants, Tom Coughlin um, has been doing a lot of things over in Jacksonville and bringing in Calais Campbell and the premier quarterback who is on the market in A.J. Boye. Uh, but most of the sentiment that I still read on Twitter is mostly focusing on past Jaguar disappointments. With the new regime of Coughlin and Malone, do you think they might finally take a big step up, or do you still worry about the quarterback and the team's overall ability to, to challenge for a playoff spot? I love Tom Coughlin. Like, I love him. I'm so glad that he's back in the league. I'm glad that I'm going to be able to see him in one way or another. I'm sad I won't see his angry red face on the sidelines but he'll be in the stadium, so I feel better about life. Uh, I do believe that one of the number one issues in the National Football League is turnover at the coaching level, in the front office. I think that if everyone wants to be Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, but no one wants to be patient enough for it and to realize that there's a magical equation there, but that more than anything, the way that they can do it with anyone on the field is because of the consistency at the coaching position and the front office. And so my problem is uh, I think that organizations like the Jaguars have always had this issue, right? They just didn't know how to win and win consistently and have that kind of professional demeanor. And I think Tom Coughlin really brings that to the table. Doug Marone, maybe, you know, weird thing when he left Buffalo. I, I don't know what all happened there. Uh, but I think Tom Coughlin's going to make sure that, that, that Marone does bring that energy. And I do think that when you set expectations, people meet them. If you don't, then people flounder. And I think that Tom Coughlin's very good at setting expectations. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that, you know, Renee Miller talks a lot about recency bias. And I think it's a recency bias with the Jaguars because two years in a row, a lot of people were saying they were going to take a step up and they didn't. Uh, obviously they're going to have to get Blake Bortles to play better than he has. He certainly has the ability to play better, but he is just inconsistent, especially early in games. But that defense has the makings of being pretty special with a lot of young talent and bringing in Boye and, and Campbell. Um, I, I'm with you. I, I think they turn it around and uh, have a better season this year. There were a lot of moves out there. Were there any free agent moves maybe that were a little under the radar that you were really high on? 
Yeah, I, I well, one move was Latavius Murray walking away from Oakland. I don't know why. Jalen Richard doesn't even have an ADP on fantasy, on a fantasy football calculator. And uh, DeAndre Washington is one of the last people being taken on ADP. You guys, stop it. I wrote an article about um, running back sleepers on Pro Football Focus. You can go check it out. I just wrote it today. And I just went off on how good, um, especially Jalen Richard, but really DeAndre Washington was right behind him on a lot of stats. Now, it was a small sample size, uh, but even so, I mean, Jalen Richard had the highest elusive rating on Pro Football Focus, and he forced 21 missed tackles on only 83 carries. What? He's doing it all on his own. I just don't understand why no one's actually even drafting him, and now you can get him in the 17th round of these NFL 10s. You can get him at the very end. What is the worst that's going to happen with this guy? Um, also, I think Mike Gillisley is being underrated as well. He's kind of up and down in, in terms of ADP. I know they picked up all these fullbacks, which is very weird. But to me, in the worst-case scenario, he's one of the best handcuffs to LaShawn McCoy in the league. Best-case scenario, he continues his role as a gold line back, and that's pretty special. So just even from a running back perspective, um, you know, I, I definitely like those two guys. Um, and, I, you know, I understand that people – I think that sometimes when we talk about free agency, we talk about the people that moved, but sometimes it's also about the people who didn't move and what happened around them. And that's the case with those two players. I I love it. I got to say it never occurred to me and I'm man enough to admit that, that I I hadn't thought of it. Um, I think my initial thought was that they were going to bring someone in even either through free agency and were, you know, we're mostly through the uh, free agency, even though there's a lot of running backs. Um, there's been no talk of them interviewing any of the free agent running backs that I've heard. And <laughs> sure, they could draft someone, but you're right. If you're drafting in an MFL 10 now and you get the opportunity to pick up someone who's going to run behind that line 200 to 250 times in a year who ha- has good ratings. Uh, great call, Marianne. I, I real, I mean, I did that again, didn't I? Brandon, I, I really <laughs> like it. Um, Thank you. Sure. Sure. No, I, I, I love it. Um, what team moves have kind of left you scratching your head then? Well, I'm going to stick with the bills for a minute. Um, I guess they think they're getting wide receivers in the draft because what's going on there? Nothing. Again, I mean, I sometimes mean, for me, free agency is weirder what doesn't happen, and I do not understand how they can feel comfortable right now because the draft is a living, breathing organism, right, of just insanity, and everything happens. People move up. People move down. If they get stuck with someone they don't like, they're in a lot of trouble. Again, and that's what they did to Tyrod Taylor last season, which is why it was absurd that there was even a question about them re-signing him. I was like, you have the best possible free agent, quote, unquote, option at quarterback, and you just want to let him walk. What, what is wrong with you? I just, I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> the bills really upset me. I get very worked up about them. So I think that that's no, it's, probably it's, one it's that good. really pisses me off. <laughs> it's good. I, I, again, I find myself agreeing with you. I'm sitting there watching this, and I'm going, and and I I think it's the general manager because there were blurbs about that the the general manager didn't want Tyrod Taylor, but the new coach did, and it and I even made a tweet that it looks like Sean McDermott won the uh, the power struggle. I mean, this is a general manager who has not exactly put a lot of pelts on his belt, 
And he, you know, they let Robert Woods go. I thought that was a nice under the radar signing for the for the Niners. And yep. and, and and I I think that uh, you know the whole Tyrod thing was just ridiculous. So I'm with you. And and you're right. They've got Sammy Watkins and pretty much nothing. So that is um, again good call. Um, that that is a good pet peeve. Um, Speaking of my pet peeves, the the older running back market is once again soft. Why don't we finish off by discussing what you think that Adrian Peterson and Jamal Charles might have left and some ideal landing spots that you'd like to see for each of them? You know, they're big ticket items as far as emotions and, and Twitter goes, so I thought that would be a good way to kind of finish things up. Yeah, they really are. Um, I think the problem is, for both of them, this is a running back heavy draft. I could see a world where neither of them get signed until May. Because why would you pay up for a running back when you might land one on draft day? And I'm sure that's an ego bruise, you know, I mean, uh, for both of them, because they've had such fantastic careers. Um, but, you know, that's, that's reality. I think for me, I'm more interested in where Jamal Charles lands, to be frank. You know, Jamal Charles has always averaged at least five yards per carry in every single season in the National Football League. Last season, he only played in a couple games. For the most part, he was out. Adrian Peterson, you know, he didn't look good when he did play. And I know that, you know, this, uh, you know, they had a terrible offensive line. Agreed, agreed. But if he's this miraculous player, shouldn't he be able to overcome that a little bit more? So I, I don't know. For some reason, uh, well, not for some reason, for that reason, I just feel like Charles has maybe a little bit more in the tank. He's also a more versatile player because he's, you know, able to get involved, you know, in the passing game a lot better than uh, Adrian Peterson, although Peterson tried to work on that. The other thing is that, you know, Peterson has very specific formations that he likes to line up on. You know, Charles can do anything. So I think that, unfortunately, AP has kind of put himself in a little bit of a corner here based off of being the, the player that the Vikings built around for so many years. They kind of didn't stretch his um, skill set in the way that Jamal Charles had to. When yes, also Kansas City, they were shaping their team around Jamal Charles, but they instead said, no, Charles, we want you to do it all, all the time. And he did. So, uh, you know, if I'm a team and I'm evaluating my talent, There are a variety of holes I think Charles can fill. I don't think there are a lot of holes that AP can fill. I'm glad we're off this Cowboys talk because he could not be the backup to Ezekiel Elliott. That just would be a disaster zone. I don't understand that at all. Um, I just, I think that he wants to be the guy, but he's going to have to find a place that is kind of hard up for a fullback. And the problem is, or for a halfback. And the problem is there are a ton of them at the draft, you can get them at the end of April. So I'm, I'm a little worried for both of them. But for me, Charles is the one I'm a little more interested in tracking. Yeah, I, I, again, you make some really excellent points. I mean, AP has not always been the easiest guy. Um, you know, he, he's not a cheap date, right? Both in what the, his, the money he wants to make and yeah. – and the role that he wants in a team. And when he was all world, you cater, right? 
That's what you do when you have an all-world player. He, he's, the one thing that's for sure is he's not that anymore. So you add that to the fact that the league has passed him by a little bit in the sense of, you know, first and second round backs. I mean, you could talk about Eddie Lacy, but Eddie Lacy can play on third down, and he has. Um, so I'm with mm-hmm. you. I think Jamal Charles is the guy who would fit into a team better. And I, I really think that he's the type of guy who could take a team to the next level. I would love to see him in Oakland. Uh, I know um, Washington does some of what he, Charles does, but Charles, Charles is, I mean, he has that ability to just still be dominant, I think. So it'll be interesting to see how both of these situations play out. Um, any any final thoughts, Brandon, on something that we might have missed? Um, anything that you're looking forward to? Um, an article maybe that you're going to do next? Uh, what, what's up next for Brandon uh, Lee? Well, uh, as I said, I just wrote the um, sleepers, early sleepers from running backs article today. Later this week, I'll write an article about players I don't think will bounce back. I did an article a couple weeks ago about players I did think would bounce back. Um, you know, specifically, I talked about, uh, and basically the players that kind of um, people are avoiding because they burned them last year, that recency bias we discussed. So Russell Wilson, you know, his health was really the issue there. Agreed. But he still actually has some good stats. So, like, there's no reason to run away from him. They're just very definitive games where they just didn't have him doing anything because he could not move. He had every injury. He couldn't run. Couldn't run. I talk about Derek Henry, who it was clear he was not going to be the starter last season. And I don't know why. And a lot of people in our industry kept telling people to keep him and the, to play him and he'll be playing and they're going to share time. And I'm like, DeMarco Murray is killing it. Is it no, it's not going to happen. I do think that this season, though, they are going to split time more. Um, but if there was no way that was going to happen last season. Uh, and so I talk about, you know, going back in. And now, finally, his ADP is low enough where that makes sense, whereas last season everyone thought he was definitely, and that's why I don't like to draft rookies until after the draft, because it's all about where you land. Um, big issue. And then I talk about Zach Ertz, who always has an end of the season push, but I really think that he did develop that chemistry with Carson Wentz. I think Carson Wentz won free agency, and he wasn't a free agent. I, you know, he just got Alshon Jeffrey. You know, the team has obviously decided to rallying around him. You know, it, he just exudes leadership. And people want to play with him. And I think that's really exciting if you're a Philadelphia fan. So uh, I'm excited about that. Um, but, yeah, so I'm just going to be, you know, churning tr- out articles, pro football focus. And, again, you can check me out on SiriusXM on Saturday mornings from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern. Uh, it's the Bleacher Report show. So we do everything from water cooler talk to fantasy baseball to fantasy basketball to football. And just one more reminder, the combine's great. Look at the tape. Please. Dear God, look at the tape. I don't know why people don't <laughs> do Waldman. that. Matt Waldman. Mike Williams, you guys. Like, he had, the, he had every freaky catch all season last year. All anyone did, all Twitter was doing was blowing up above Mike Williams. He has this mediocre combine. And he said he was waiting to, to run his 40 into his pro day, and everyone's down on him now. What happened? I got to check out – I don't watch college ball, so I – I found Matt Waldman's site, and I'm going to be doing – and, and, you know, between that and there was one other site, I'm going to be doing a lot of that heading into the um, the draft this year because I think if you want to compete with the big boys, that was my big takeaway from fantasy last year. 
And, you know, I'm in this league with you guys and all these dynasty experts. And if, if you don't know the, you know, one of the reasons I always won so much at fantasy football is I knew more than everyone else. And I was able to leverage that knowledge. Um, I, you know, I just look at what you guys know about these guys and I got a lot to learn. So uh, I got a lot of homework. So that's another good takeaway and um, did I just interrupt you again? Did you have a la- another thing? No, no. I think I'm just booming you because you're making good. Points. Oh, I like, I like, I like that. <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 I uh, anyone who agrees with me is suddenly my friend. That's the rule. So, um, thank you very, very much for coming on my podcast. I had a wonderful time uh, talking with you. We're starting a new thing here today. Um, I always lead out with a song. And I asked Brandon to make a suggestion of a song that would kick some tail and is something that she likes to listen to. So we're going to lead you out with ACDC, Shook Me All Night Long. Brandon, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Thank you.